so welcome to this week's episode of the Python People podcast. And uh, today we are joined by a very special guest indeed in uh, Firas Kanaisa. Uh, so Firas, thank you very much for being here with us today. How the devil are you? Yeah, I'm good. Good. Super. Better than the weather in Edinburgh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah, wouldn't be too difficult at the moment, would it? Um, exactly. But, uh, no, Firas, thanks very much for being here with us today. Um, so for, for those people out there that haven't had the chance to, uh, to make your acquaintance as of yet, um, to give you a, a brief uh, intro, you are the head of decisioning for uh, Standard Life Aberdeen. And also you're on the chair for um, the DMA uh, Scotland as well. Um, and I know that you run um, some really interesting programs and initiatives around uh, data. In particular, I think you run a program called the, the Value of Data uh, for, for DMA Scotland, which uh, no doubt we will uh, we'll get on to and have a good, good chat around. Um, but, but I'd like to start, if I may. So in our first chat that we had um, a while back, you gave me uh, kindly told me a bit about your 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 sort of career to date and your story and and you know how you kind of arrived in into the world of data and without putting too fine a point on it, I think it's probably one of the most kind of interesting routes that anyone's sort of taken uh, to get into the world of data. So if you could start by maybe giving us a bit of an overview of your uh, your background and um, you know how you've arrived where you've arrived, that would be that'd be awesome. Sure. Um... Well, I mean, I I I, I'm, I graduated from a university in Lebanon. Uh, that's that's where I come from, in in marketing and advertising. So I was I was, uh, um, you know, very very early on, kind of into into the marketing marketing space. And the reason actually I chose marketing was because I'm um, I had zero business acumen, and there was there was no way I, I was actually going to go hardcore and do something like accounting and finance. But I realized I need to kind of have some kind of business acumen, and I had this really strong artistic side to me. So I'm like, okay, so maybe maybe advertising and marketing might be the option. And a friend proposed it at the time, and so I, it, it kind of made sense to me. Um, so I, I started off in Dubai, actually, because uh, I couldn't find the job uh, straight out of university in Lebanon. So I started off in what was uh, probably the only direct marketing agency, uh, true direct marketing agency in Dubai. Um, and because it was so unique and one of a kind, we had an amazing list of clients. I mean, I, I cut my teeth on you know, uh, General Motors and Nestle and 3M and Sony and all of these big brands where, you know, in, it's, if I were in London, for example, it would be very hard for me to kind of, you know, work on such a large and diverse uh, number of accounts of such, such big brand names. Uh, so I was very fortunate to get stuck um, there. And then that kind of led me very uh, nicely into the world of CRM because I kind of was running campaigns and I was using data, but it's like, okay, yeah, but why are you using it? And what, what are you trying to, what, what are you really trying to do? And then I, I, I started veering off into, into more of a CRM uh, space. And then within that organization and also the following organization, I really focused on CRM and, and, and how, and how you could actually manage customers. Uh, so we used to work again with General Motors, but this time it was more um, in terms of getting all the capabilities of all the dealerships across all of the Middle East 
in terms of their CRM knowledge up to speed. So, so we, started, we started really working with that. So that touches on data, marketing, uh, HR policy, what the organization stands for, everything. And then I was, uh, so I started heading more into a strategy space, which felt like a much more natural fit uh, for me. Um, so, but, but then I, I, I did a five-year stint in Dubai and I got really uh, put off by Dubai and uh, a bit run down towards the end of that period. Um, my wife is English and so she's like, why, why don't we go to the UK? Uh, and she asked me, what do you fancy doing? I told her I want to become a filmmaker. So, uh, so I actually came to Edinburgh um, because of a scholarship that I was offered to become a filmmaker. And I was effectively a filmmaker for um, three years uh, before um, getting back into the world of marketing. And it was really interesting when I did because um, film kind of taught me that um, you could do a lot with very little money. And whereas I was kind of used to like, the large corporate space where lots of money was being spent so it became even more powerful for me to kind of question what why are we spending all of this money on this stuff and you know like audience engagement and stuff like that within even if you have a very small budget film or a documentary that you're working on you really need to be able to capture your audience so then it, it just empowered me even more within within this space and uh, I was very fortunate to get a role with uh, Clydesdale Bank in Glasgow, and I, I, I spent the stint over there. But also over there, I veered again into the CRM space and the strategy space because they wanted to implement something which is based around next best action. Uh, so they wanted to simplify their data, put tools on top of it to allow us to have omni-channel experiences uh, with with our customers and so I became kind of like the lead from a marketing side into that project but it's something that is anyway dear to me from from kind of my my previous existence and I'm thankful for my manager at the time for recognizing that and actually empowering me to, to do more uh, but then um, but then with standard life um, you know I, I started the conversation and they saw my experience and they're like okay, so you, you could be a really good fit because Standard Life was also going through that uh, process of uh, creating a single customer view, putting kit, building a team, all of that stuff. So I'm like, okay, cool, I could do that. But I was doing it this time um, in the data space, you know, and I was like, I was expected to manage a team of uh, data analysts. And and I was, uh, to be honest, I was I was a bit out of my depth because, um, you know, I'd, I'd never, I was always a marketer, you know, more on the kind of creative content, et cetera, and strategy side, but not really on the data side. And, and fortunately, again, I had an amazing manager who in the interview asked me, are you scared of data? And I told him, no, absolutely not. So he's like, yeah, I like the way that you think and I like the way that you approach stuff. So I'd like to offer you this rule. And that's been five six five five and a bit years now uh that i've been i've been in a data role uh but i still feel like a data imposter till today uh so um it's 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 pretty um it's it's my 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 kind of venture into into the world of data was quite uh was quite inevitable i think in the trajectory that i was kind of taking but i i feel i feel kind of more comfortable in my clothes now
<laughs> well, it's a very, it's a very unique story. It's, it's genuinely one of the most interesting stories I've, I've ever heard about people's kind of career trajectory and, and how you arrive at the world of data. But I guess that's one of the, the great things about data, isn't it? Really, as a, as an industry, you know, it's not necessarily taught in school. So a lot of people do arrive into it from various different channels. But um, I think one of the things I really love about your story is that every even though you've done really interesting you know, from marketing to crm to becoming a filmmaker and, and i can tell just from you know the, the time we've known each other and, and speaking to you you really kind of think long and hard about how you can engage your 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 customer and your kind of you know the core thread that seems to run throughout all of those even though they're quite different industries is you know seeing the world through the lens of your your customer and how do you how can you engage with a customer? And I know that's something that's quite important to you and, and quite front and center. And when we talk about the world of data, you know, it's, it's a really, it's a, I think a really emotionally charged world now that we live in. It's, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? It has a perceived, some people still perceive it as boring. Some people perceive it as really interesting, you know, so what, what actually is it? And, and I think you said something quite interesting to me in our, our first chat of, you know, data, actually it's, it's all about, people you know rather than saying data let's let's talk about people um so yeah do, do you ever want to give us a bit of an overview of the, of the the value of data uh program that you're you're kind of running at the moment and you know what, what that's all about and kind of what it what it means to you yes yeah, sure. i mean but before before i jump into that i mean i just want to focus on that point about people because i think you know with all the media hype and with all, all the technical jargon i mean data is being touted around all the time to, 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 mean, to mean very different things, but everybody seems to think that the answer is all in, in the data. And, and that's, that's the point that I was making is that, no, we need to shift the, 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 the focus back on, on the people. And, uh, you know, and, and I believe that because, you know, if, if you gave two different teams um, you know, the exact same data set, which is of really high quality and, you know, and, and it's, it's in really good nick, uh, they're going to do different things with it. And, and so it's, it's, it's ultimately down to who these people are, what do they believe in, and what are they trying to achieve? How do they work with each other? All of these things that do not really uh, factor in into a data conversation because albeit it, it, it kind of veers into like more of a technical space and then it becomes oh yeah but you need this solution and you need that solution and you're not doing AI why you know it's like ev everybody's doing it and and that kind of always um, serves the purpose of, of um, people with a vested interest really to kind of either sell technology or uh, just just kind of give silver bullet options but uh, the real, the real, the real worth, uh, I think, for me is uh, is in the people, and that kind of ties in with the the value of data um, program that I run for the DMA. So, um, the DMA for for those who don't know much about them are the Data and Marketing Association. So they're the largest uh, trade body for data and marketing in Europe and in the UK. Um, the the thing that i really love about them is they're always focused around the customer is whatever the dma does it's about how do we deliver a better customer outcome so they are effectively you know one of the most uh, forthcoming customer champions really in in our industry and that's why intrinsically i'm kind of linked to them because the, the we share the same passion um around around the customer and so 
Um, you know, the DMA do a, a plethora of things. So they've got something called the DMA code, which is kind of like the, the gold standard for how do, you, how do you do data and marketing. So everybody that is a DMA member uh, has to go through an audit process where, you know, they run, they run the organization through the code. And if you're successful, you become a member. But also they set best practice for the industry. They also lobby for regulation around data. For example, they were heavily involved in uh, GDPR legislation, uh, supporting the ICO, and, and, um, and on a number of subjects, there's a lot of lobbying that happens uh, to make sure that the, the, the right outcomes for the customer are achieved. But also the DMA is a place to kind of uh, uh, celebrate talent, bring talent into the industry. Uh, training, uh, you know, is an, another forte where, you know, uh, the, the IDM, which is a division of the DMA, uh, runs its own set of courses. So, you know, for, 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 for different needs across, you know, from uh, classroom to boardroom, really. So if you're, you're just coming into the industry or you're an exec who wants to uh, be more involved and it's also a celebration of the industry uh, the dma awards happen every year and they you know it's, it's one of the most coveted kind of awards on the in the marketing calendar so to go back to the point of customers like i'm i'm intrinsic i'm intrinsically linked with 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 the dma um so i took on the the leadership of uh, dma scotland about two and a bit years ago and um, and we needed an agenda um, because I wasn't just going to accept the the fact that uh, there's this you know ivory tower in London that comes up with all of these wonderful ideas and then all of a sudden everybody else around the UK has to go oh yes of course because you guys have you guys know everything down in London you know uh, and I have nothing I have nothing against London you know at all but. Um, but I felt that I needed something that um, that is a product of the environment, and the environment that we are in in, in Edinburgh is um, a very fertile uh, environment for uh, data uh, talent and uh, very lofty ambitions um, in terms of uh, you know becoming the data capital of Europe. So there was a deal that was signed between Nicola Sturgeon and Theresa May back in the day, which is called the Edinburgh City and Regions Deal, which is around uh, making Edinburgh data capital of Europe that involves creating you know, a world-class infrastructure for data, that involves uh, creating uh, new talent, uh, training up people to become, um, to have more data scientists, but digital skills as a, as a kind of a large uh, part of that, but also supporting startups, um, uh, in that space. So there's, there's a lot of investment which is happening surrounding the universities um, uh, to, to, to really push uh, Scotland forward. And, and the beauty, I think, of Edinburgh as well is, um, is it's a very small place. So the, the players within, whether it's within the large corporates, uh, fintechs, uh, academia, um, government is there, there are only a few key players so actually it's very very easy to navigate uh, to navigate the scene and so that presented an opportunity for me is that uh, you know I felt that the DMA had the role to play uh, but what was the role and the role was very clear for me is that we are the customer champion and so if we are the customer champion 
we need to be able to demonstrate how we could create better outcomes for customers through data. So I created something called the Value of Data campaign along with uh, DMA Scotland members um, two years ago. And the initial question that we set out to answer was, um, what is the actual worth of data? Does data have an actual value? And that was the initial kind of, you know, kickstart for the whole, the whole thing. But as, as soon as we really started with that initial premise, uh, which is, which is a, a very troublesome premise, because that premise, you know, is, is, is uh, hindered by, by uh, very antiquated accounting principles, is that, uh, you know, data has no place on the balance sheet. Whereas, for example, something like brand does have a place on the balance sheet. Why? Uh, um, so if I am a CEO in a company, you're telling me to invest in data. Why am I able to answer if this is an asset and everybody wants to treat it as an asset? Wh wh why, 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 why is there such vagueness around, uh, you know, uh, valuing, valuing this, this thing, which seems to be the, 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 the kind of fuel that, that businesses uh, run on. But then there, there are multiple questions that kind of naturally lead on from that. And we're kind of evolving the, the campaign really based on, the, on, on these questions. So uh, the immediate question after that was, uh, how could you look at value of something without actually questioning the values? Um, so as a customer, I, I met with a plethora of different services, different clients, my value choices are not necessarily just monetary. They, uh, I have the opportunity to align myself to brands that I feel represent me in some way. Um, you know, Nike, for example, was really good with that, with, uh, you know, taking a brave step in that direction with, uh, uh, you know, even predating the Black Lives Matter movement uh, through, uh, you know, uh, highlighting people like uh, Kaepernick, you know, the, the American football player who, um, who uh, you know, started kneeling in football games and caused a huge uproar uh, just to kind of, and now we understand that kneeling has a connotation in the way that the police force treat, uh, you know, uh, black, black, black Americans. And so, um, so that, that, you know, Nike took that as, as a value to say that we, we, will, we will stand up to these kind of injustices that are happening and we're gonna celebrate them. And that polarized Nike's customer base. So the people who were really pro, uh, you know, the heavy use of force by the, the, the American police, um, you know, um, they, they, they went against Nike. But then again, uh, the, 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 the counter effect is that the people who did believe in these values actually became more, more attached to Nike and really connected with Nike on, on a very deep level. And that, that was reflected in Nike's share, uh, share price. So uh, what I'm saying is that brands cannot be vanilla and brands need to have values. And these values are intrinsically connected to what, as a customer, we believe is something of value to us. And we can't separate really the, uh, the, the two together. So that, that really spurred us into a different kind of uh, um, part of the campaign where we, uh, we started thinking of, uh, data is a force of good, and we really, we really believe that data could be a force of good. So GDPR is a is a force for good. It's the, it's an industry 
a standard that that kind of you know puts the, the, the you know puts the, the the line in the sand that this is what you need to do at on a on a very basic level um but what the kind of problem that we are dealing with right now is that regulation will always be behind uh, the pace of technology and and, and the way the, the speed of things is is kind of going forward so actually regulation even though it's really helpful is not enough and this is why we are witnessing um you know a, a, a kind of a, a propelling of ethics you know into the mainstream so people are openly discussing the ethics of data and you know the ethics of, of organizations because it's really important uh, uh to use tools that are tangible when when you know you can't you can't kind of like just sit around and wait until the regulation comes in place i'm not underplaying the role of regulation it has a very important role but it it will always it will always be lagging and so then the onus comes back onto the organizations and onto the people in these organizations to say so you know what what are you, what are you about and and you know how how do you want to manage your data and do, do you care about how do you manage your data do you do you want to be transparent about it do you want to give customer more ownership about it um and that again um you know uh, we've seen in 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 kind of mainstream media the the whole chat about ethical frameworks for example so you know a lot of organizations are talking about putting ethical ethical frameworks in place and that's that's the reason why they're there but uh, and and it's important to talk about these things because these are things that take um if you want uh, the ethical message or values of an organization across the entire organization but ultimately you need people and and this is why the focus has to be on the people is that if you're not recruiting in a way where you are representative of the society that you're in then the decisions are going to be biased same thing with your data if the data that you have contains some kind of biases historical biases then you're creating problems for the future there's a i'm sorry i'm on a massive rant now but you know, there's a, you know but there's a wonderful book by um uh you know uh, by Kathy O'Neill it's called weapons of mass destruction which was way before like the the black lives uh, matters movement um and she talks about you know historical biases and data and algorithmic biases and how not only uh do they kind of ensure that you know we've historically done injustices to different groups within our societies but that we will continue to do that in the future and we will continue to do that into the future unknowingly because we're not uh you know we're not really going under under the the the, the bonnet uh, to to take a look at why why we have these algorithmic biases and it's really welcome i mean on the black lives matter movement we're seeing uh, uh, you know that the large tech companies have started coming to the table um uh, you know um and 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 uh, for example questioning facial recognition technology one of one of uh, the things that's really hot at the moment because of the biases that this technology actually brings and with you know we've seen multiple cases where this technology is not able to um differentiate between people of of different color and different ethnicities and and could create massive injustices 
towards these people. And so, so some of the large techs have decided that they're gonna they're gonna stop the support of that until there's an entire overhaul of 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 of, of uh, you know of all the biases that kind of go into that. And that's a, that's a real watershed moment and and a real triumph, I think, for the Black Lives Matter movement is when you know you're not kind of sitting there begging at the door like please please listen to us you know uh is no this is a a, a global movement there's 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 a lot of uh, uh people who are are involved in it and ultimately their objective is to to create a fairer society uh for everybody uh, to live in hence better customer outcomes which is how, how we kind of started this whole rant i'm sorry i ranted a lot no, it's genuinely really interesting to kind of follow your, your chain of thought and um, a lot of great sort of insights shared there. But just on your, your point latterly, you know, about kind of biases and, um, you know, it, we can see it, I suppose, very much in this real world example we've got now with the downgrading of, of, of kids, um, you know, grades based on a an algorithm that's that's taking into account you know bias from from people's experience and it's it's having a real world massive detrimental impact on the future of a lot of a lot of individuals you know at the moment and um i think you're certainly right that the whole you know data is a an asset um and it needs to be kind of seen more that way but i think with great with great it's a very powerful asset in many ways and I think your point about you know regulation lagging behind practices. I mean, I think that's that's a great it's a great way of looking at it. And I suppose it's very true. I mean, the whole GDPR thing that, that kind of came came about in the first place really, I suppose, was a a reaction to somewhat unethical principles that were taking place with people's data in the first place, and kind of needed to then come into effect. So uh, you know, like I say, it is it is a force for good. But I think GDPR is quite an interesting one because it's probably the biggest kind of data focused mainstream data initiative that's kind of come into into public eye in you know a number of years how do you think the world has been left from a, a customer point of view or a consumer point of view and a, a business point of view off the back of gdpr what, what sort of um perspectives do you think people have been left with um since it's kind of all, all been rolled out well i mean i i'm I'm a big fan of GDPR, but I think like GDPR should have come in 20 years ago. Um, you know, in the sense that this is like the, the 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 absolute bare minimum of what any organization that respects itself should be adhering to uh, anyway. But it's great that that sets the the standard. But where I'm massively disappointed is. Um, is ultimately these things come into organizations and they just become a project and uh, a project has an end date and once it has an end date it's like yeah we've done gdpr what does that mean you know what do you mean you've done gdpr you know um and that's 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 the real disappointment for me is there were really very few brands who uh, who found uh, the true opportunity that gdpr brings because the real opportunity that gdpr brings is for brands to re-engage with their customers in a better way and uh, you know one good example that won a dma award uh, back in the only year of G in the year of gdpr there was a, a once once um, you know once one-off kind of uh, uh, award um, for GDPR and the Guardian actually um, 
the Guardian won that award. And, um, and the way that uh, the Guardian positioned it was um, they, they chose it to be an opportunity for them to re-engage totally with their customer base. So they created videos explaining to customers what that tangibly means to them. But, you know, uh, it's, it's very critical for a service like The Guardian because without them going through an extensive re-permissioning exercise, then they'll lose their, their, they'll lose their customer base. But in the way that they did it, they managed to not only have a massive uplift in terms of the re-permissioning targets that they'd already set out, but they had customers who weren't using different Guardian services actually start considering using uh, different, different Guardian um, services on the back of it, which goes back to the point that if you engage and you choose to engage with your customer, uh, the Guardian were very adamant on transparency and on giving the customer the power uh, over their data to do and to choose uh, what they want to do with it. And that landed massively well. But that's one example. And unfortunately, the multitude of, of non-examples, I think, is where my disappointment actually, actually comes, is that, the, you know, it was a real shame because they, you, it was an opportunity for brands to kind of hit the reset button, you know, and say, I want to I wanna engage with my, my customers in a, in a better way. Yeah. And, and this, is, this is my opportunity. Yeah, totally, totally agree. I think for for a lot of customers, you know, when GDPR came out, it was almost a, a step too far insofar as it kind of made people a lot more aware of, I, I totally agree with you, it's, it's a force for good and it kind of needed to happen. But like I say, it probably should have happened a long time ago, but I think it made a lot of customers realise actually, I think data now is a very emotively charged word because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's about trust, isn't it? And I think people, a lot of customers have got to a point where they've kind of, really lost confidence um, that their data was being handled in the right way and, and almost feel like they're being exploited through the, the sort of, you know, sharing of their data versus actually, like you've said, you know, the companies, and I also think from the, the company perspective as well, a lot of companies thought, oh, hold on a minute, this is just a, this is a project. It's an absolute, it's a load of faff that we've got to do. It's a load of admin and, you know, and actually it just means we're, we're more limited now and we've got to, you know, engage in this much more narrow way with our customers, you know, cause there's all these ethics involved, but actually, like you exactly. said, I think that the businesses that will really thrive throughout this time are the people that kind of look at the whole world of data with their customers through, through the lens of, like you said, how do we enrich our customer experience? Because I think if you can genuinely do that with data, which we all know is possible, but if you can really execute that, it, you're able to re, regain that trust and if anything like you say put yourself in a much more um you know secure position in terms of that brand awareness that brand engagement reputation with totally. that customer where totally. where they will then start to you know like you say potentially use you in areas where you've, you've never kind of used before so i think i do see it as a real opportunity but like you said i think you know certainly the business i've been involved with you know from uh, from my experiences there's not many of them that have certainly looked at it like you're saying in the way they have and hence probably why they won the award no doubt but um but no it's uh, that is very interesting well, there we go i mean because when you start seeing this kind of stuff as a hindrance when it's actually your bread and butter you know and, and you hit the nail on the head uh you know on when you're looking at trust is that i really believe that you you know a lot of brands could regain 
um, you know, the trust of their customers through their data practices, you know, um, not just through, you know, really warm, cuddly, fluffy uh, stuff and messages, you know, that they, 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 they give their customers. That definitely has a, has a role to play. I'm not under, undermining, undermining the role of, of uh, you know, kind of promoting, um, you know, um, really positive messages. But these need to be underpinned, and they need to be underpinned with, um, you know, good data practices, you know, and um, and that's that's how you regain the trust of your customers. I mean, um, you know, if you go back, uh, you know, back to the beginning of, uh, for example, us having Google services, you know, uh, none of us we all thought that we were getting a free email address. Uh, and, and we're like, oh, cool. Okay, so you subscribe to this and you get a free email address. And then years later, we realized that, all oh, right, okay, so this is, oh, so this is all for advertising. Cool. Uh, I didn't realize that. Oh, Google Maps is for advertising. So, okay. You know, and I think that's where customers really lose trust is that, you know, is is the lack of transparency but also the lack of um the lack of willingness i think from brands to actually share in uh the spoils you know if you want to use somebody's data then fine but why why are they you know why are they perceived as uh, not like not somebody who's a partner to the organization why why is the customer so removed you know that we do stuff to these guys, you know, it's like, it's it's bonkers because if you think about it, I mean, one, one really good example, again, from a DMA award was uh, Xbox had a really wonderful entry. They won, uh, they won uh, the gold award for everything, which is the Grand Prix um, uh, in, in, in the DMA. And what they came up with is um, they were coming up with these customizable controllers for Xbox, but, um, what, what, what they wanted was, um, uh, you know, they wanted to push that you could customize a controller. And in itself, customizing a controller, it's nothing new. I mean, you could customize your shoe, you could, custom, you could customize whatever you want. Uh, so that's definitely not cut it. But where, where they were really clever is they said um, you could customize the controller, but you'll patent it as your design. So it'll be guys controller. And so they galvanized a whole community of gamers who were, who, were, who were designing these controllers. But then when a controller sold, they would actually pay, they would pay the, the designer of the controller. Uh, and it is uh, a token amount of money. It's not like they're gonna become millionaires from designing a controller. But what they created was, a sense of we are gonna we're gonna do this together, and you will be rewarded for for your contribution. And lo and behold, I mean the marketing was was ingenious because they kind of had to go to you know gamers blogs and YouTube uh, channels and all these like guys who have like you know millions of followers are all of a sudden like buy buy my controller and whatever and you know and and the controller was selling. So actually the advertising that came on the back of it was actually all user generated content. But what was interesting is the customer in this instance was deemed to be a business partner. And that's what the customer really is. You know, they're a stakeholder in your organization. They're not, 
just something that you know you do stuff to like words like customer but even more damaging is consumer is uh, is uh, you know is the assumption that there's somebody over there that consumes something that you produce but we don't live in that in that kind of a world anymore you know I, you you post stuff on facebook you you put stuff up on youtube um you know we use linkedin to put our our content we are content creators Mm. So why are we not being viewed as creators? We're viewed, you know, most of the time as a, as a customer, we're viewed as, as someone at the end of the chain that we have, you know, we, we push stuff onto them. Yeah. Yeah. The it's whole amazing. equation, the whole equation needs an overhaul. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. I love that example with um, the Xbox. I've not heard that before, but that's, that's, you know, it's such a great example of like, say, in collaborative engagement with with a customer and uh i totally agree with you you know i kind of i, I look at my experience just from kind of a, a web browsing perspective of of how many companies are just so so lazy with the way they try and engage their customers um yeah, and like you said they're just kind of seen as yeah i think actually just i generally feel like sometimes you're seen as an idiot you know with the way the customers use your data okay. and kind of what what they choose to present in front of you and actually i, I remember you watched um a talk you did um a while ago where you talked about you know you're you've got a big sock addiction you're a big fan of socks but then you know you go online and you get followed around by a load of sock adverts all the time and it's like is, are you that one dimensional that you know and it's it's true i think a lot of businesses just don't don't use data in an intelligent way to actually think yeah, because then they we're, we're people you know we're not so one-dimensional we just always need this one you know one message in front of our face all the time to make us buy because it just we all know when you get those kind of experiences it has the total opposite effect you know it's um yeah you've just got to be crazy. yeah it's about the right right uh right experience so uh no i think it's really really interesting and and you know like just your whole thought process and how you approach things i think is really refreshing um and I guess yeah, I always like to kind of wrap up any podcast with asking, you know, if there's one piece of uh, advice or kind of a number one lesson, I guess, that you kind of like to pass on to either companies or, you know, um, just, just anybody really from your own kind of personal experiences around your, your interactions with data. Is there kind of one key takeaway that you, you'd like to pass on um, your fellow person? <laughs> well i guess i mean my my only my only message is uh, is don't be scared of data i mean you know i've seen it in so many in so many different companies you know where um you have people in, in marketing departments going oh my goodness like i need to have a data conversation or you know these data geeks like what, what am i what am i even gonna talk to them about you know i i, I don't know how to speak the languages just don't be scared you know just get get stuck in it's there's nothing there's nothing scary about it and actually the closer you get to it the the you're increasing the likelihood of creating a better experience uh for the customer and um and and that's 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 a real blessing in in kind of working uh, you know and with large brands and within the kind of corporate spaces that you know you're able to create um, a much more positive impact on people if you took a bit more notice and not just leave it for you know a bunch of people who uh, who know who know data so um so yeah my 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 message is just don't be scared i mean i 
you know, I had the the privilege of, and now I've, you know, I've been in this industry for for five years, and it's been it's been a it's been a fantastic fantastic ride, you know, in terms of just you know the the ability to make such dramatic change not only to your customer but your customer ultimately is a is a person and this person lives in a society and they have a family and so by by doing the right thing for the customer you're doing the right thing by the by by the entire society you're creating a better place for everybody so so please take some notice <laughs> that's 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 all i'm saying and don't and don't be scared you know yeah, I think it's a great it's a great final thought and I totally agree. I think you know, the world of data now it feels like it has really it is becoming far more front and center for a lot of businesses and it has really evolved and it's gone from, you know, where you know people were afraid of this well, I'm not a data person, I'm not I'm not a numerate, you know, number cruncher and it's like the people that are getting it right now and, and you know people like self where you're looking at the world through it's not it's not data it's people you know and it's we just we need the numbers to be able to support that but it genuinely everything we're doing is about enriching experiences for our, our customers um yeah i to- totally agree i think that's uh, a very refreshing approach as i say but um well for us and we i think you and i could probably fill about 15 hours worth of podcast time so i'll try and wrap it up <laughs> where we are now because i think we always uh probably going for longer than we should but um but no it's been really great speaking to you thanks very much for your time and thanks for uh coming and sharing your, your really great unique perspectives and uh yeah look forward to, to catching up with you again and, and seeing how you best of luck with the program the initiatives with the dma i'm sure you'll go on to uh, even more absolutely. exciting things and uh yeah look forward to, to catching up with you soon absolutely okay thank you guys cheers mate thank you bye for now